You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Began our Sunday school, the adult Sunday school portion of our worship service. And uh, those of you that have been with us during Sunday school, we're going through the book of Philippians. And I'm alternating with Cornell, who is going through the book of Corinthians. So as we speak of those various saints and those churches, Cornell says he's got the bad guys and I've got the good guys. So it's a blessing to be able to teach through this epistle and uh, this small church in Philippi was a group of believers that Paul loved greatly. So let's uh, open in prayer and we'll continue in our study. Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning for your love towards us through your son Jesus Christ and we Thank you, Father, for your word. And we ask this morning that you would grant us the blessing of being able to exposit your word and to be able to understand your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us as we teach and preach through your word and as we worship you in songs and hymns and praise. And Father, we Pray most of all that you would be glorified and your son Jesus Christ would be lifted up. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I think that uh, what Paul has done thus far as we've looked at this epistle, we've looked at the first eight verses and Paul in his introductory prayer beginning with verse 3, has been commending these saints in Philippi. He also lifted up the doctrine of God's election and eternal security in verse 6, where he said that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Some translations, Jesus Christ. And... With that, he now begins to unfold some particular teachings that he wants these saints to understand. Now, we know that the place that these saints dwelled and lived was a city which was in within the Roman Empire. Now, this, uh, though not the same as Corinth, was riddled with idolatry. Uh, They had idols throughout the city and all kinds of idol worship. So Paul knew that these saints were standing up against the uh, attacks on Christianity as well as the false teachings later that he addresses in chapter 3. And here... In this uh, prayer, he's going to pray some very specific things for these saints. Now, one commentator stated that Paul was 
trying to lift up these saints so that he could then give them some admonitions and without any offense. I can't say I agree with that. Paul's, as you know, is inspired by God's Holy Spirit and he wants these saints to grow in Christ and mature. So, of course, he wants them to understand the greater and deeper understandings of God's Word and be able to practice that in their lives. It's one thing to study God's Word, to exegete God's Word, to go through a a teaching or study in God's Word, but without putting that in practice by God's grace, it means nothing. So the importance of us taking these truths and by God's grace being obedient to God's Word, that glorifies God. So as we go forth in this looking at His prayer, the continuation of His prayer, we have to focus on that truth. God wants to sanctify us. He's already justified us. He wants to continue that process and will continue that process until glorification. Verse 9, and I'll pick up in verse 7 so that we have context. Just that it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how I greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Well, Paul here in this prayer is something that just isn't for the Philippian saints in that period of time in the first century church. This is for all believers. God wants to mature us to grow and to be able to manifest more Christ-likeness in our lives. So, after Paul has expressed his thankfulness and joy, he now moves on to this specific prayer in verse 9. Since the uh, process that we all go through, and Paul understood quite well because even in chapter 3, he acknowledged that not that I have attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ laid hold of me. Now this is coming from a mature apostle. Paul had now, it had been almost a decade since he had preached and brought forth the Gospel in Philippi. And Paul was a mature saint. He was an apostle. And God had appointed him for that purpose. And yet he himself knew that he was in the process of sanctification. So he then points to this. I do not cease giving thanks for you. Um, excuse me. He's 
He's lifted up these saints and is praying for these saints in a similar way that he prayed for those in Ephesus and also Colossians and those in Philemon, uh, in the letter to Philemon. In his epistle to the Ephesians, he says, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And then later in Ephesians, he adds this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up in all the fullness of God. What a prayer. And to have the Apostle lift up this prayer for the saints, we can only imagine what a great blessing that was to these saints when they received these letters. His desire and prayer for the Colossians was that they walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in knowledge. And then he affirmed to the Thessalonians, he said this, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. And then he remembered individuals such as Timothy. In First Timothy, he says this, I constantly remember you in my prayers. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective. I'm sorry, this is from Philemon. And every good thing which is for Christ's sake, in, in you for Christ's sake. In the first portion of the petition in Philippians, Paul said that your love may abound more and more. The word love here is replete in Paul's epistles. He uses it over and over. And it's not phileo love, which is a deep friendship. But it's that of agape love. That is a love given to us through God's Holy Spirit. And this is the type of love that Paul had for these saints. He wanted them to know that this was a deep love. Now, Paul also had a phileo love. He had a deep affection for these saints. So, both those exhibited through Paul to these saints. He had a great love for the saints in Philippi. In uh, the love that God gives believers is given to us by His choice. And the exception is the believer's love towards God who fully deserves our love. And <clears throat> We should also show this love to our neighbors. And the Lord said this in the book of Matthew. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies 
and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He causes His Son to rise on evil and good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Now, Christ was quoting, uh, quoting a portion from Leviticus 19.18 there, and yet that truth should permeate all believers. We shouldn't just love those who we're close to. We should have a great love for the saints, but also for the lost. And that should be the motivation for us to minister to the lost. We have to realize everything that's going on in this world and everything that was going on in the world in the world at the time of this epistle's writing is no different. Depravity is unfolding rampantly throughout the world. We're surrounded by it, and yet we have within us the God of creation. We had within us the Savior. We have within us the love of God. So we have the capability and we should have a desire to love the lost and so much so that we're willing to sacrificially minister the gospel to them. It is difficult sometimes when we come across difficult individuals, but here Paul is giving us a truth that should permeate our hearts. This form of love isn't based on an emotional or physical attraction. This is a love which is identifying element of every Christian. The Lord speaking to His disciples in John 13.35 said this, By this all men will know you, that you are My disciples, if you have love for one another. That is a distinction. We should be set apart from the world by our love for one another. And it should be a witness to the world of who we are. And that's what Christ was identifying factor as He was bringing the Gospel truth. Jesus Christ was the supreme example. In John 15, 12-15, Jesus said this, This is My commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. That was in John 15. Now, Jim has just finished expositing this, so I won't try to go any depth. I would do it a disservice if I tried. Paul gave another exhortation to the saints in Ephesus where he said, Therefore, be imitators of God, my beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved and gave Himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Everything that Paul is teaching here is pointing back to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is giving us truths, but these truths are always exalting Christ. Again, now we are in verse 9. Paul has mentioned Christ eight times. And again, in these verses, it will be ten times that Paul lifts up the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Paul prays 
like in all his teaching, is based on principles. His prayers are doctrinal. They're sound. He's not just praying out of uh, an affection, this phileo love for these saints. He is praying specific prayer that he wants, he knows that God will work in them and through them, but he wants them to know specifically what God desires of them. God having began a work in us has enabled us to cooperate with that work. And he will lift this up and merge that truth in chapter two when he tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. We'll be looking at that sometime down the road. Paul didn't just stop at giving the Gospel and showing the way of salvation. He wanted to equip these saints. He wanted them to have a greater knowledge. And he wanted them to grow so that they might abound still more in knowledge and all discernment. Now, we have to look at this word knowledge because as Cornell goes through the book of Corinthians, when he, in chapter 8, Paul says this, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Now in the context, the apostle was <clears throat> reproving some of these saints in Corinth who were buying food that was offered to idols. And those that were offering food to idols, they'd often have leftovers and it was good food and they would sell it in the marketplace and it would be cheaper. So some of these Christians realized that idols are nothing and so them offering this meat to idols is nothing, so they bought the meat. But what they didn't do is consider the weaker believers. And Paul addressed that in Romans 14 as well. They didn't have consider, they didn't consider the weaker brother who had stumbled over them buying this meat and partaking of it. They thought it would be sinful practice. When Paul uses the word stumble in chapter 14 of Romans, it infers that of stumbling somebody unto sin. So Paul in Corinthians was actually rebuking these believers. They had the freedom, and he expounds that. It wasn't a corrupt food. Uh, so Paul was rebuking these more mature Christians because they, even though they knew that they could eat this food with no problem, with the exception of stumbling the weaker brothers who thought it would be sinful to do so. So their knowledge produced some arrogance in them. And Paul reproved them. It's a different word, though, in the original language. It's the word kenosis, which has the idea of uh, studying to draw out. In other words, these uh, some of these saints in Corinth were mature enough to have a knowledge of God's Word. Uh, they studied God's Word and they understood some of God's Word, but without the maturity and discernment, they used it wrongfully. Now, <clears throat> under the inspiration of God, we realize that all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. And 
that the man of God might be perfect, complete, and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, perfect there, of course, is talking about mature, maturing Christians. Without God's Word and without the practice of God's Word, we will not grow. There are, throughout the world, churches that are, where some of them have God's people in them and some of them have the unbelieving people within their congregation. And yet, unless God's Word is preached with accuracy and in a truthful manner, those saints will not be edified. They won't be built up. And they won't have discernment. And we see that often. Here, Paul uses this word for knowledge, and it's a word, kenosis. In the original form, what that means is it's a spiritual knowledge only with the depths of understanding to be able to apply it to your life. So that's the word that Paul's using. He wants them to grow in knowledge, which is the knowledge of who God is, what His Word says, and the ability to apply those truths in your life. So he wanted them to grow. And having that knowledge, he didn't want them just to have that alone. With that knowledge, he wants them to have discernment. So, when he prays this, he asked God to give them discernment as well. The Lord said in John 14:15, "If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. To him and make our If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our abode with him. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Christ is a supreme model for us. The perfect man, perfect God. When he came here in his incarnation, he lived a perfect and sinless life and suffered and died, rose from the dead, and now sits ascended at the right hand of the Father. As we look at these truths, Paul is incorporating the gospel only in application. The gospel should not just get us to a place of understanding that we're saved from the punishment of sin but we're also saved from the penalty of sin ultimately. But in the process, God gives us the power and the ability to abstain from sin. We will all sin. Paul understood that, and especially in Romans 7, as he explained uh, his dilemma. Things I want to do, I find myself that I can't do. Things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. I'm paraphrasing as he gave that teaching, he fully well understood the battle we have with our flesh. Paul understood that, and as he uh, penned that letter, as he wrote this letter, he had that understanding that he wanted to give them. As we look at... uh, this consideration of 
what happened in Corinth when Paul reproved them and said that their knowledge, that kenosis, was causing them to be proud and sinful in their practice. Paul wanted just the opposite for these Philippian believers. We have the blessing of God's Word given to us. We have the blessing of being able to go through God's Word daily. And the question would be here, are we taking advantage of that? Are we just coming on Sunday and just uh, getting a fill of God's Word and understanding and then going to go through the week without any filling and understanding and meditating and study of God's Word? Every believer should feed upon God's Word. That should be our daily source of uh, entreating God's Word and memorizing God's Word and studying God's Word. Now, not everyone is called to teach, but we're all called to meditate on God's Word, to study His Word. And yet, how often do we realize the privilege of what God has given us in His Holy Word? Paul knew that he was going to equip these saints because they uh, they were giving the gospel out. They were obedient, these Philippian saints. They were going to face trials and temptations like any Christian, and yet he knew that their need for spiritual growth was essential. Discernment. When Paul prayed here for God to give them Knowledge, which is the knowledge of deep understanding of God's Word and the practice of it, he combined that with discernment. Now, discernment is what Paul's, the definition of that would be the understanding of being able to determine between good and evil. Do we use and exercise that discernment in our knowledge? That's what Paul was praying. How essential that is. And especially in a day of heresy and false teachings that permeate every uh, place in this world. We know that Justin travels throughout the world as he uh, serves God in the ministry of bringing forth the teachings on the word-faith movement and the false heretical teachings that are permeating churches today the uh, teachings that encompass that is probably one of the fastest-growing type of churches there is. The charismatic churches is permeating churches throughout the world. And the error that they bring forth is damaging. And it is a false gospel. They're teaching of, instead of, it's, instead of a God and Christ-centered gospel, it's a man-centered gospel. So that man can have things on this earth, material things, health and wealth. Those are the kind of doctrines that are being fed throughout areas throughout the world. As we look at that, and we look at what Paul was facing here, where this city that was a part of the Roman Empire was permeated with all kinds of idolatry, all forms of idolatry, 
Paul wanted them to be set apart. He didn't want them to come out as Christ said. I want them to remain in this world, but not be of it. We're to be in this world and not of it. As we, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, as we consider the world state right now and where we live, as we see the sin that's just permeating our society and the twisted uh, philosophies that some people are being brought up in. We should be thankful for what God has done in His grace to save us, to sanctify us, and to give us the truth that we might impart that to loved ones, to family, to friends, neighbors, how many of us have friends and neighbors that are so permeated and so depraved that they embrace society's philosophy today? We come across it daily. The things that are acceptable to the world that God hates. And yet we have to realize that God wants His children to raise up and to proclaim the Gospel truth to the lost. We don't know who the elect are. Spurgeon would say, if, you, if I could lift up their shirt and see a big E on their back, well then I would know. We're called to give the gospel to all people. When we're surrounded by the lost and we're given all the philosophical garbage that comes forth today, we have to separate that out and be able to understand these are lost individuals. They don't have any base for truth. Some of you work in places that you come across this daily in which you have opportunity to be set apart and to be a God's witness for the lost. A light in darkness. It isn't that we try to uh, bring forth something that somebody's rejecting, it's we bring forth the gospel in season and out of season without fear. We shouldn't shut down because we're afraid we might offend somebody. Paul knew that these Philippian saints were facing the most uh, hideous forms of idolatry. We also have to recognize they lived in a highly and uh, immoral city. So Paul wanted them to have this knowledge and to be filled with that knowledge with it discernment. To be able to realize deception. To be able to discern truth and error. And the only way you can discern that is through the knowledge of God's Word. And that's what Paul was emphasizing in this verse. So I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. As we think of this love, this agape love, or if we think of even the phileo love, apart from knowledge, that love means nothing. If we just say we're going to love somebody, but fall short of giving them truth, what love are we giving them? If we're fearful of sharing the gospel with somebody because they've profaned God, we should stand up for the gospel. We should stand up for God. 
It is His name that we lift up. It is His name that should be glorified. So Paul wanted them to exercise this discernment with their knowledge. If we study God's Word and we're able to rightly divide God's Word and we practice God's Word, that knowledge with discernment will be available to us. We will have that. But it's through the practice of God's Word, not just the knowledge. See, we fall short if we have half of this and don't have the discernment that goes with it. That's discernment comes from God's Word, and yet it comes from God's Word as we practice His Word. Real knowledge in the heart of the believer, this epinosis, it is the essence that produces holiness in the life of a believer. To the believers in Rome, Paul said this, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself am also convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. That knowledge brought them to a place in Rome where these Christians were able to understand God's Word, to practice God's Word. They were also able to admonish one another. So, how does that apply to us today? Are we loving our brothers and sisters in Christ enough to even admonish one another when necessary? We need to. But that admonishment is also to be done in love. We need to be sensitive uh, in our lives to that of our own sin. We should be daily going to God whenever we have sin in our heart to purify our hearts through prayer and the confession of our sin to our Lord. Peter says this in 1 Peter 1.22, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Truth should in believers should produce knowledge and increasing our faith. Faith comes from what? From hearing. Hearing of what? God's Word. Paul teaches that in Romans. So without God's Word, we don't have the understanding or the knowledge or discernment to live out the Christian life. We have to have both. I want to ask this question. If we, if we have a brother or sister that we know may be in some besetting sin, do we have enough love to come alongside that individual and to be able to correct and reprove or admonish? Do we have the knowledge to do so in love? Biblical love involves obedience as well. And Christ says this again, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If we understand God's word and we keep his commandments, that also manifests our love of God. That is a witness. God's love also is discerning. Uh, having a true and accurate knowledge of God's word 
brings that discernment. Uh, discernment here in the original, it has a word that's uh, it's unusual, I found. It was aesthetic. I'm not going to try to pronounce the Greek form, but it has the meaning of uh, aesthetics, aesthetics, which is a personal taste or preference. Paul calls believers to put aside their personal tastes and preference and to focus on maturity and growing and understanding. This word uh, appears, aesthetic or discernment appears only here in the New Testament referring to a high level of biblical, theological, and moral and spiritual perception. That's the kind of discernment Paul is lifting up here. In other words, discernment is the understanding and the appreciation of real knowledge of God, of God's revelation. It produces in us holiness. So if we're having a great knowledge of God's Word and we're practicing God's Word, it's also going to produce in us holiness. And that is the goal of God, to transform us continually through the process of sanctification. We are told that we have the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2.16, which gives us clear direction for holy living. It's a biblical knowledge and able to discriminate Love that is under the control of the Holy Spirit. This I would say to younger, the youth. I would say when one says they're in love with somebody, what does that love consist of? And what are you loving? And who are you loving? If we don't love somebody from a pure heart, that is not God's love. We can have an affection. We can have wrong affection. That is sin. God wants us to have a pure love. That's the type of love He wants us to express to Him and to believers. Paul goes on to say that that we might abound more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent. Now, Approving the things that are excellent. By that, uh, Paul is going to give an explanation here of the excellence in our thinking and living biblically. Now, I can't see the clock back there, Jim. Two minutes? Okay, thank you. It is just uh, showing in verse 9 the excellence that we should be thinking and living biblically when we're dominated and controlled by the love of God, we'll be able to have a corresponding desire to live according to God's will. So if we understand this, God commands the believers to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect in Matthew 5.48. We know we can never be perfect here on this earth. But as our duty as believers to strive in our obedience to God's Word. I'm going to stop there and we may be continuing next week. Uh, Cornell is, uh, may have to be leaving next week, so if he does, then I'll be continuing here. He said I could take his lesson if I wanted to. 
I don't want to do them any disservice. So we'll continue whenever, either this next week or when Cornell finishes up his. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we come to you and pray that we would be able to exercise love through the knowledge of your word and with all discernment. We pray, Father, that in this process that you are setting us apart for yourself, that we might honor you and glorify you in all that we do. We just give you praise now and pray for Jim as he brings forth your word and as the we continue the song and hymns and worship, we pray that you might be glorified in all that we do. I pray now, Father, for you to be glorified in our lives as we live each day that we would put you in the center and first in our lives. We just pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.